Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Thursday, March 9th in Hong Kong, Wednesday, March 8th in New York. And coming up today, Fed Chair Jay Powell says no decision has been made on the size of this month's rate hike. The Netherlands prepares more restrictions on shipmaking gear to China. And Apple shakes up its sales operation to focus more on growth in India. President Xi calls for the need for its tech industry to boost China's military. U.S. intelligence report says China is aiding Russia during its war effort. Australia touts new submarines. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. Fed Chair Jay Powell softening his tone a little during a second day of congressional testimony. He said the Fed hadn't made any decision on what it will do at its next meeting in March. Larger point, though, is that we're not on a preset path and that we will be guided by the incoming data and the evolving outlook. No decision has been made on this. But if the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. Powell cited upcoming payroll and inflation reports as potentially key data. In the meantime, traders up their bets on Wednesday that the Fed would hike interest rates by half a point at its next meeting. They also saw the Fed taking rates to a peak of near 5.7 percent this year, and that is up from 5.5 percent on Monday. Well, TikTok is making a push to convince governments in Europe that the company does protect user data. We have that story from Bloomberg's Yvonne Men. TikTok is planning to build three European data centers to store information in the region locally. It'll be done with help from an independent third party that will oversee data access controls. TikTok's European data is currently stored in Singapore and the U.S. The new data centers will take about three years to build and will cost $1.3 billion annually to maintain. TikTok's latest move follows an order from the European Commission to ask its own staff to delete the app. Germany and Canada follow suit, and the Netherlands is said to be considering similar steps. In Hong Kong, I'm Yvonne Mann, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The Netherlands is preparing more restrictions on chip-making gear to China. More from Bloomberg's David Inglés. A new proposal will rein in exports of so-called immersion DUV lithography products. That's in addition to restrictions that already exist for the most cutting-edge lithography machines. Now, this means that Dutch tech firm ASML will be barred from selling some additional technology to Chinese companies. 
Even so, ASML said in a separate statement that the measures would not have a material effect on its outlook for 2023. The plan comes as the U.S. ramps up restrictions on China's access to semiconductor technology and the U.S. is counting on the Netherlands to help stop China from further developing its chip industry and its military. In Hong Kong, I'm David Inglis, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. We go to Apple next. We are told the company is reshuffling management of its international businesses with an aim of putting a larger focus on India. That story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It is a sign of the nation's growing importance. The shift will mark the first time that India becomes its own sales region at Apple, which has seen demand surge in the country. One of the sources says it will give the Asian nation increased prominence inside the tech giant. Apple is making the change after its vice president in charge of India, the Middle East, Mediterranean, East Europe, and Africa recently retired. In New York, Charlie Pellet. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. We did have Apple gaining about eight-tenths of a percent in this latest session, uh, probably not really um, as a result of that story. And also ASML, interestingly, uh, when it traded last in in Europe, it traded up about 1.4%. The Adani family is said to have paid off all borrowings backed by Adani Group shares. Investors at a meeting in London quoted Adani executives for this update. In addition, sources say that the group repaid a $500 million bridge loan to banks that was due today. The London meeting was part of a global roadshow that included earlier stops in Hong Kong, Singapore and Dubai. The Adani Group has been trying to reassure investors after a scathing short seller report. And the roadshow may be working. U.S. investment firm GQG Partners said it would likely increase its stakes in Adani firms over time. Adani's roadshow will continue this week in the United States. Meetings will be held over four days in New York and Los Angeles. So, Doug, the the bear case is pretty easily made. Uh, It's about all you hear at the moment. The bull case, that's much more difficult, um, but it would become a little easier if the upcoming data, the economic data, was somewhat muted. Yeah, that'll begin Friday with the employment report here in the U.S., and then you look to next week with the inflation data that we're going to get on Wednesday. That's the consumer price index. It's going to probably indicate that inflation remains stubbornly high, but in terms of trend line, I think that we are beginning to see a little bit of a, a continuation of a softening, at least, in the rate of inflation here in the U.S. But to your point, Brian, as long as the Fed is going to continue to lean into this fight aggressively, and if the market has it right, and there is an additional 100 basis points of tightening over the next four meetings, then you're also right. The equity market has a bit of a headwind to face. Yeah, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Then you get comments like we heard from Caterpillar uh, that they see demand pretty strong uh, and they don't see a recession in the United States. And if you look at Caterpillar uh, and also John Deere, the stocks, um, you know, typical industrial names have have traded up of 35 to 40 percent since September, although of late they've been moving a little bit more sideways. But uh, there's a lot of conflicting signals uh, in the marketplace. Yeah. When it comes to Cat, how much of this is construction? How much of it is mining, right? We talk a lot about the transition to cleaner energy. That's going to boost consumption of metals. Uh, The mining cycle is going to be a very, very critical component for Caterpillar to look at. But as as the need for more natural resources becomes greater, I think that uh, a company like Cat is probably going to be a big beneficiary. 
Yeah, so bull case versus bear case, inflation versus recession. We'll put these questions to James Abate coming up in a few moments from Center Asset Management. Now it's time for global news. China's President Xi Jinping is calling for technology advancements to help boost its military might. Ed Baxter with Global News in San Francisco in the 960 Newsroom, Ed. Yeah, that's right, Brian. Now, she clearly says China needs to accelerate its push for high-tech independence to achieve advantage over its international rivals. Bloomberg's Stephen Engel in Hong Kong says she is telling military delegates at the NPC that ties with technology and defense will build its military standing in the world. Just about every leader has talked about this pressure that China is under and the need for a whole nation approach uh, to become or reach technology independence thereby strengthening the military. Meanwhile, the U.S. is saying China will deepen its ties with Russia despite global pressure. The director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, releasing a report and appearing before Senate intelligence today saying, despite global backlash, China will maintain its diplomatic, defense, economic, technology cooperation with Russia. This in an effort to challenge the U.S. Haines says China needs the relationship with Russia desperately. The IC assesses that China's long-term economic growth will continue to decelerate because China's era of rapid catch-up growth is ending and structural issues such as debt, demographics, inequality, over-reliance on investment and suppressed consumption remain. And at the hearing, Senator Marco Rubio drilled down with FBI Director Christopher Wray on China and TikTok. But they use it to drive narratives, uh, like to divide Americans against each other. For example, let's say China wants to invade Taiwan to make sure that Americans are seeing videos arguing why Taiwan belongs to China and why the U.S. should not intervene? Yes, and I would make the point on that last one in particular that we're not sure that we would see many of the outward signs of it happening if it was happening. And Ray confirmed to his knowledge that TikTok also had access to privacy of the American public. The committee also sought more information about the origins of COVID. Again, Avril Haines. There's a broad consensus in the intelligence community that the outbreak is not the result of a bioweapon or genetic engineering. What there isn't a consensus on is whether or not it's a lab leak or natural exposure to an infected animal. Haynes says the leading intelligence says it did emanate from China, though. A treasure trove of stories coming out of the depositions in the Dominion Voting Systems defamation lawsuit against Fox News. Court documents, for example, focusing on Tucker Carlson have him passionately writing about Donald Trump, quote, I hate him passionately. Uh, this while his he's loyally supporting him on the air, going on to say, I truly can't wait, reference to talking about with him, to, for it to end. Now, these statements draw a dark contrast to what he and other hosts were saying on the air on Fox, and White House spokeswoman Corrine Jean-Pierre put an exclamation point on it today. We agree with the Fox Nation's own attorneys and executives who have repeatedly stressed in multiple courts of law that Tucker Carlson is not credible when it comes to this issue in particular. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. This is Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. 
This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with uh, Rashad Salamat, Doug Krisner, and Ed Baxter as well. Our guest on the show this morning is James Abate, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Center Asset Management. James, Doug and I were just talking about um, inflation versus recession, you know, which is the the greater fear at the moment and how difficult it is to to really make the bull case here, uh, other than perhaps for individual stories. Um, Always interested in your take. um, how, How are you looking at markets these days? Well, I think when you're looking at top-down indicators, such as the yield curve being inverted under almost every maturity, PMIs, other leading indicators and contraction, housing, construction weakness, and job losses uh, you see daily in technology and finance, it's, it screams economy-wide recession. However, you know, as a stock analyst doing bottom-up research across all sectors of the market, you know, what we're seeing is that it's possible that, you know, barring a significant demand shock, we might end up with what I consider a rolling recession that lasts much longer than the average recession. But it's quite shallow as it goes from industry to industry. I mean, for example, today, today's uh, release of the Federal Reserve's Beige Book uh, it highlighted that supply chain disruptions continue to ease. Consumer spending has generally held steady. Travel and tourism was a bright spot, actually, and fairly strong, while manufacturing was quite stable. But when you look at loan demand, it declined, credit standards are tightening, delinquency rates edged up as interest rates have moved higher. You know, for us, I think the most significant complicating factor to all of this analysis is the strength of the labor market. I mean, outside of tech and finance, companies are highly reluctant to let go of trained workers and remain understaffed due to the lingering effects of the pandemic crisis. So we might just be able to avoid a recession here. So, uh, James, ultimately, you know, is the Federal Reserve actually getting it right? You know, let's think about it. Assuming the Fed raises its target rate by 50 basis points at the March meeting coming up and we get to a five to five and a quarter target range, you know, let's just point out that that may seem high. And in fact, it's the most significant in terms of the the slope, in terms of rate raises that we've seen, you know, in a generation. But when when core CPI inflation still stands at 5.6%, Rates are still negative in real terms. I mean, more importantly, if you look at interest rates that are broadly used in the economy as well as valuation, most notably the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, which is now at 4%, it's still a negative 2% rate in terms of real terms. So this talk of restrictive monetary policy stance is simply not true. I mean, until real yields um, you know, go from negative uh, to positive, I think that's where the Fed is going to end up. So, you know, when you think about... You know, looking at even inflation, you know, if it falls in coming months, when you look at forward-looking measures like tip shields, um, they're still well below where we were for before the global financial crisis. Um, they're around 150 basis points right now. So I've changed my thought process in terms of the Fed. I think the Fed 
is, and, and this is from interpretation of Powell's comments over the last year or so, is that they're going to stop and hold rates when the 10-year tip rate gets to around 2% which is essentially the real yield, meaning either inflation expectations fall down um, or nominal rates move higher because you still got about 100 basis points to go to basically get to that point where real yields on a forward-looking basis are at that 2 2.5% level, which is where they existed prior to the global financial crisis. So it's going back to the old normal. Uh, so is there an issue, do you think, in terms of messaging? I think so, because what's happening now is that um, there's a, an entire generation of investors who basically know nothing other than the Fed put and easy monetary policy. And in essence, what, as you rightly point out, we're kind of getting back to the future, which is you know really the way things existed in terms of a, a normal rate. I think if you do want to look at you know a variable that does matter it's credit spreads and right now BAA spreads are still near historic lows only at around two percent you know two percent i mean unless you get to three percent levels that uh, you're not even close to considering recessionary levels and when you look at uh, even high yield indices um they're nowhere near close to the levels that we saw during the 2002 recession or you know even the very elevated levels during 2008 but, James, if you're right and we get this sort of long rolling recession, uh, w- wouldn't that do the trick? Wouldn't that get at inflation? In fact, it's actually not a bad scenario because uh, it, it means that, you know, because people don't want to fire uh, the, or companies don't want to fire their workers, they will stay employed, they will keep getting paychecks and they will spend. And even if growth slows down, it just buys you some time for ultimately uh, higher interest rates to bring inflation down. And nobody gets that hurt. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like what the market has told us, right? Because the S&P 500 is at the same level today as it was last May. Hmm. So... You know, the earnings collapse is not yet evident, whether it's because the Fed has not constricted the economy to the same degree. Uh, But it is maximum frustration for us investors, right, because sideways versus this trap door door drawdown like we had in the fall of 2008 or summer 2002, you know, has not yet materialized. So I think we continue to kind of have this grinding sideways type of environment unless we see an earnings recession and or some type of uh, so did, event did, that did, causes major risk aversion. Do you hold your nose a little and buy? I think what you want to do, and this is a good opportunity, because what we have seen is correlations within the S&P 500 fall to levels that we haven't seen in quite a while. And particularly when you look at intra-sector correlations, they're at very low levels in healthcare materials, consumer staples. So to the extent where people have gravitated towards technology and communication services earlier this year, we've taken the opportunity to go back into those sectors, um, particularly staples and healthcare, to amplify positions that we think can give kind of an idiosyncratic opportunity um, and away from kind of broad market risk. Again, you know, you look at the uh, the ADP employment report here as well. Again, this is this is strong too, and uh, you know, jolts also. Uh, that was a, a bit of a surprise to the upside. So, you know, this goes and really furthers your narrative ultimately. Yeah, that's right. And I, clearly, the number on Friday, the change in non-farm payrolls, which is estimated to be two hundred twenty-five thousand, 
is is critically important in terms of what the Fed's decision is going to be at its upcoming March meeting, as as well as the CPI number that we're expecting next week. So I think, you know, the one worry that I do have, and this is a real important issue, is that first, never underestimate how well run U.S. companies are. You know, that said, labor costs and rising input costs from deglobalization are significant unknowns. And I think the major point that I wanted to point out with regard to kind of all the restructuring efforts and cost cutting that we're seeing today, unlike what happened back in 2009, and one of the reasons back then why we were kind of shouting from the rooftops to buy stocks was that people were underestimating the operating leverage to earnings as sales growth turned positive out of the recession, but margins were depressed. You know, in fact, you know, margins back then for the S&P 500 expanded over 30% in 2010 after declining, yeah. you know, 12% in 2007 and 30% in 2008, which led to a mm. huge 40% increase in EPS in 2010 that drove the market higher. Today, um, you know, a very important distinguishing uh, issue is that margins have contracted by about 10% from the record highs, but they're two standard deviations from trend right now. So in other words, you know, the cost cutting we're seeing today is just simply slowing down the rate of decline in earnings and not setting the foundation for a huge increase that can drive earnings higher, even in a tepid sales growth environment. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices, Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.